Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Chapters in Chat. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Jestokomaki. I want to start by acknowledging we're on Blackfoot territory. Uh, this place for thousands of years was taken care of by the Siksika, Gainai, and Bugani, and south of the border, the Blackfeet Nation. And then in 1877, Treaty 7 was signed that also brought in the Stony Nakoda, the uh, Good Stony, Chiniki, Bears Paw Nations and uh, the Sutina as well. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Kind of going back to our conversation we had yesterday about Jay Treaty. The only people who acknowledge that border are colonizers. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll start from there. So today's uh, book club, we're gonna do the 113 Pathways to Justice. Um, this was the Alberta government's look at the uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women National Inquiry and um, has some pretty clear ideas and recommendations. And I have seen nothing about any updates on any of them. In fact, the opposite. Um, I found it really triggering reading this because I know like today the Alberta government was talking more about uh, forced uh, addiction treatment, which we all know causes more harm than good, which goes against many of their own recommendations in here about being trauma-informed one, right? Let alone the racism of it. So to me, I feel like they're just openly de declaring war on our Indian residential school survivors, our 60 scoop survivors and um, you know, really going to perpetuate more missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit with their awful ways of approaching the addiction issue alone, let alone the ongoing historical issues prior to that. So yeah, I, I found it really hard to read this knowing the state of what's happening, but mm -hmm. sometimes, yeah, it's hard because I wish I just didn't know. And I could just be like, oh my God, this sounds so great. The government of Alberta is trying to do the right thing. Oh my God, it's so good. But you know what they're doing and it's said everything in violation of this report that they've done. So yeah, I'm really struggling with that. Um, anyway, I will, I'm just looking at the uh, participants list and the order it goes, uh, obviously Kathy can be next and then Rosemary, Kat, Marla, Marnie, Shelly, Siri and Wendy. And uh, of course, I'll pause the recording for folks who um, would like it paused for whatever reason, um, for sure. And we'll go from there. So Kathy, I don't know if you can unmute yourself. I know you're struggling there. Um, I'm at the library right now and there's a kids class going on until seven. So it's quite noisy. So maybe I'll speak later if possible. Thanks. Sounds great. So Rosemary, Kat. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad we're doing this. It, it, it provides a way to kind of refresh one's memory about the overall national report because we read that stretched out over so much time. <clears throat> so I was struck by how it's really trying to follow, um, how can I put it? the structure and and uh, the things that informed the other report, like the four pathways to violence and the seven principles um, that they feel need need to inform design and decision making. I've only gotten through uh, part part one through I'm in the middle of the anti-racism section. Um, I'm struck by how much attention, I shouldn't be surprised in Alberta to how much attention is being paid to the issue of anti-racism. Like they, they really elaborate on that way more, for example, than <clears throat> the Truth and Reconciliation calls did, where they just see a passing reference to anti-racism training. Um, and the other thing, of course, and again, I shouldn't be surprised, but that <laughs> Alberta has the worst record in terms of uh, you know, homicides among Indigenous women, disproportionate number of homicides and, and, and violence in general. And um, really struck by the whole, 
I, I just started to try and put my head in the space of a family dealing with this. And um, that idea that there's no central place to go for information, that you go to different agencies where you, you meet up with racism, misconceptions, and um, how awkward the police have been. And I remember at last year's Sisters in Spirit event, uh, a lot of effort was made to, <clears throat> how can I put it, honor? recognize the police and the effort they were making. And I'm really curious about how substantive that is in terms of the police here in Calgary. Like I know, I think Josie's tried to do a lot of work with the police and with politicians, but I just, I'm gonna stop there. And I'm just throwing that out there for feedback. <clears throat> I can tell you that I've been smudging every uh, new recruit class in and sometimes they asked me to come we just recorded a land acknowledgement and um, talked about smudge and um, that said like I, I had a meeting with some of the folks that they hired they're called the mobilization team and they even they're native and I, I was shocked at how colonized their thinking was so for example mm -hmm. Uh, one person kind of put down one of our elders saying, oh, they, you know, expect money at every meeting. And I didn't say anything. I just let them kind of say what they needed to say. But I, I think of an elder like Ruth Scalpluck, who lives not just um, by Strathmore, but beyond Gleeshan to Clooney. So they drive all the way from Clooney in order to come uh, into Calgary for a meeting. So if they don't get paid for that, um, you know their gas is not honored you know that that's that's a real disrespect on calgary to not do that and especially considering she was the founder of awaton healing lodge um you know the creator of it so it it is shocking to me how sometimes they can really miss the mark and like at uh pride because obviously the issue of two-spirit is still gendered violence uh added with racism you know i was really shocked um you know we had a trans and dyke march and there was two fellows that were harassing folks and the cop tried really hard to you know say what he needed to say but at one point in time he said well i have a gay son so i understand and it's like you're at the trans and dyke march dude you don't understand one two your son is not your experience <laughs> you know like and then that bigger picture of um of course not understanding uh, racism in any capacity either so um yeah it was the oppression dynamics training is still missing when it comes to their street level parole or uh, patrol folks, um, beat cops. I was referring to them the other day um, because, you know, what happens at West Winds is not what is necessarily happening on the ground. And uh, so I know that they've put together like a, an educational component uh, by one of the profs that was from Sage, who is an active police officer, and he, he's fabulous. Uh, he's Indigenous as well, and he put together a great educational tool piece, but I don't believe that, uh, you know, everybody's gone through it. And I did one recruit class that were, you know, previous police officers in different jurisdictions. And I mean, you can just get from the vibe, the energy of a person where they're just like, I'm only doing this because I have to, not because I want to, you know, you, you get mm -hmm. that, right? So um, we don't have full buy-in by all the police by any stretch, mm -hmm. but we also, uh, you know, the what's happening on the ground compared to what's happening at West Wind, you know, I'm, I'm hoping eventually we're going to see less and less on the ground, but with mm -hmm. the new mandate from the Alberta government and the way that they are handling um, addiction with uh, forced forced uh, treatment, so jail, right. you know, that they they say is not jail, but you know, is jail <laughs> for for addiction, and um, you know, and they don't have the proper housing after. So, you know, what usually happens and has had has happened since Ralph Klein made cuts to um, mental health is as soon as somebody gets out they go straight back to the addiction route because there's no, you know, housing for them or support network afterwards. Right. So it, it's just such a vicious cycle and it, it's just declaring war on indigenous in my opinion. So mm -hmm. it's the opposite. Like you were saying all mm -hmm. these anti-racism pieces, like 
like clearly the Alberta government <laughs> did not read this report, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my mm -hmm. thoughts about the, what the police have tried to do. Um, I've talked about it in a couple of podcasts as well. So, you know, if you get a chance to ever listen to them, you might hear a little more perspective on police from me. I will. Rosemary, do you want anybody else to? What? what? I'll just mute myself and Kat, you're done. Yes, thank you. Um, I agree. Um, the police seem to be making an effort as does you know the Calgary Board of Education with their CBE CARES thing. So, I mean, I think this report was amazing because it's straight language calling out the Alberta government and all the harm it's doing not only yeah not only damage but harm harm active harm to indigenous women girls and two spirit um uh when i was reading the report i went to the internet and tried to find out um <laughs> what <laughs> what the government had been doing with regards to any of these um yeah. of these calls um they do have a, what do they have? They have um, an Indigenous Organizations and Service Directory page on the Alberta government website. And, you know, I'm sure if you ask them, they would think, oh, we're doing a great job on, you know, business and economy and education and training and all this stuff. But once again, as Michelle said, it's it's basically boots on the ground, right? what is happening in real life is not what the government is dreaming is going to happen. So yeah, I really, yeah, love the straightforward language um, and appreciated all the time and energy these Indigenous women put into this report. And we must, we must do what they say and we must honor them and we must push our, our, um, our government to follow this. So, um, based on uh, listening to Michelle's podcast today where she said, write your MLA and find out what they're doing. That's what I did today. And uh, well, I'll wait and hear what um, Lizette Tejada says. She's my MLA. And I also CC'd Rick Wilson. So we'll see what he says as well. Because yeah, there's nothing, nothing about any updates. It's been over a year and a half since they released this. And so what are they doing? What has been done? How are they working with other departments to get all this stuff um, uh, in progress? I mean, geez, internet in rural areas, for goodness sake, you know, um, that would not just help Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, it would help everybody. So get on it. Awesome, thanks, Kat. So I guess uh, Marla, if you're uh, if you're ready, and I again just a reminder, I'll happily pause it for anybody who wants to say something, but maybe not necessarily recorded. Thanks, Michelle. Um, what Rosemary was saying about Alberta having the worst rates of homicides, and then it also said too the worst rates of um, unsolved cases and that kind of hit home to me after having just been on the highway of tears and I thought oh god that's a wake-up call because <laughs> that's horrific enough um and yeah to to realize in your own backyard it's it's even worse is is not uh great to read although not surprising um I think the issue of data always speaks to me. I, um, trying to remember when we were talking earlier about, uh, it would have been in the MMIWG report about not, um, when transgender people die and how they're not, um, they're not noted as being transgender. And so we lose that statistic. And, and that was, like, I was just thinking about that a lot um, because they talk, they mentioned many times here, right, about having disaggregated data and, and even just the ethnicity, let alone something controversial. Um, 
in their eyes uh, as, as a transgender person. But um, the, the, I think the lack of any movement, I, I don't know, has there been any, I mean, I know I can go and Google some things federally on work that's been happening and um, lots more to do, of course, but at least you can find some things. I don't know. I, I couldn't find anything um, substantial that was done within the province of Alberta. Uh, but, you know, also what frustrated me was the fact that this report was written at all. Because <laughs> in a way, I kept thinking, why can't they just use the federal report? Like, why create another report from a report and also sit in inaction? So that I find extremely frustrating. Um, yeah, I, if, if you're not going to do anything about it, what's the point anyway? It just makes people think you're doing something and talking the talk. Um, and it does say in the conclusion every three years, right? Minimally every three years, they should be updating where they're at. And certainly there's, there's nothing out there. Um, yeah, I think data and research were the were the areas that were really kind of speaking to me. And I mean, um, oh yeah, right at the very beginning, actually, when they're talking about the seven principles too, when they say um, reframing it as a denial of rights versus unfulfilled needs, uh, I thought that was a really good statement to make, right? Exposure to violence would then be seen as a systemic violation of rights to gender equality, requiring broad structural changes instead of a symptom of service gaps. Um, and I think that's how our government would still handle it is as, as service gaps. Uh, they don't really want to acknowledge um, that it's much more work that's involved to, to move any of this forward. Um, I did want to say I'm also reading at the same time Ruth Scalplock's book. Um, so it's really interesting to hear her story about how she's came to um, bring Aotan to existence. Because um, I know you've been a big supporter, Michelle, of of the the shit that's happening on the board there. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to hear her story. Um, Oh, and also, there's a spelling mistake in the provincial report for Jackie Bromley's name. <laughs> it's spelled with a W in one point, and that just makes me mad, too. Why can't you spell the name right? Um, I've been able to meet her, and she's a smart lady. And the two of those, I don't know, they're powerhouses. And um, I'm happy to know that uh, she was involved in this report, but um, also just super frustrated by the whole thing as well. Well, that's great, Marla. Thank you. Yeah, you were talking about service gaps, and I'm just kind of flipping through them. Kind of, can I can I possibly get together everything and like the whole occupational health and safety? Um, we have the uh, World Petroleum Congress coming, and it's like, you know, here was an opportunity for Alberta to lie to the world and say, oh my God, we made these recommendations for um, occupational health and safety to assist all employers with, with toolkits on how to you know, increase safety for indigenous women, girls and two-spirit. And, uh, but no, they don't, they don't have that done. And I don't think they ever will. And just earlier I was sharing uh, because they actually made um, the roadmap, this roadmap, they, they put out and it, and they put it out in uh, June of 22. So like just last year, um, you know, it's been over a year. Here are our guiding principles. And I, I just get angry reading them because, you know, uh, the inclusion of families and survivors, not seeing that right now, Indigenous led and developed solutions, definitely not seeing that. Um, you know, in the report, they talk about leadership coming from Indigenous people not seeing that trauma-informed approach, culturally informed and safe. Nope, 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 nope. So I don't know. I just, like they made reports, but they never, they had no intention of ever implementing any of them. And especially, as you said, like across uh, sectors, like across departments. 
so it, it, it's frustrating and um you know it i i just i can't understand how this uh, they do have an oversight advisory committee and josie is on it but i haven't seen a single meeting minute or or anything from it and law enforcement like here we're going to have the world petroleum congress and as long as policing agencies ignore or fail to amend their policies procedures and expectations to account for the historic and contemporary factors that put indigenous women girls and two-spirit at risk law enforcement will continue to to contribute to mmiwg2 in alberta like this is their report And I can tell you, I had the events fellow come to my house, a set on my couch, and he was more interested in, in what actions are coming. And then at that time, I, I'm like, really? That, I just told you October 4th is our date. You know, February 14th is our date. May 5th, these are my dates. He didn't write those down. He didn't want to engage on any of that. So, and then just before that is that huge um, section on on healthcare and housing and homelessness. And I'm just infuriated after all the uh, um, announcements that came out today. You know, like it, it goes in the exact opposite of all of this. You know, violence informed programs, long-term community-based trauma programs. There's nothing, nothing going on. Worse, they're, they're making it worse. They're absolutely contributing to this issue of trauma and, and just not getting there. So, yeah, it's frustrating reading this, knowing what's happening, um, you know, and it, we talk, there's a few sections in here that talk about no barrier, sex trafficking, exiting. And again, we go in the exact opposite direction related to 2S issues and sex positivity. They're literally attracting trans people federally right now. Like this is Jason Kenney's old federal party that is literally attracting or attacking trans people in their policy convention this weekend. So we're totally missing the mark at all levels here. Thanks to the decision of people to want to, you know, contribute to gendered violence and racism. So, yeah. Marnie, would you like to speak? sure what more there is to say. I found myself feeling real despair reading this. It's so beautifully written. It's the, the recommendations are so straightforward, so obvious. We just don't give a shit. I think that's the hard truth of it. And that's why I felt despair. How many of these reports have we read now? And you know, I can count on maybe both hands, but probably just one, what's come from any of them. And um, so, you know, when you talk about uh, the trainings, I think, you know, you can go to trainings and you can get it in your head, but unless you got it in your heart and your body, you're not going to get it. And your response is going to be automatic. It's going to be well-trained. We've all been so trained in this, this culture of colonization and white supremacy. And, um, and I'm fed up with the government and corporations, communities, having all the right talk and thinking that's all that's necessary. And so that's... Uh, I mean, I have a lot of different points about different aspects of this of this document, <clears throat> but uh, in some ways they don't matter because I'm not sure what the point of this document was. They're not doing anything, you know. And that that when I read about the every three years, I thought, wow. And then I looked at the date of when the thing was written. <laughs> so. So anyway, I feel despair. I'm also not very well, so I'm likely to to just get out at some point. I'm fine, but I'm not don't have a lot of stamina. But I did want to hear what folks had to say about this. Oh, Marnie, I'm sorry to hear you're not feeling well. And yeah, it sucks. I I apologize, but uh, that's where we're at. If you feel like you need to unmute and chime in because you have some 
some strength giver for sure. So um, let's have a look here. Uh, maybe we'll go with Shelly. I was able to read the whole thing. It was very hard to read because in the sense that it wasn't loading. It It's like it didn't want me to read it, but I've read it. But it kept saying nothing about us without us. And I remember it's also a disability logo slogan. And it's like if you're, it goes back to a Latin word. I don't remember what it is that if you're going to talk about the people, they need to be at the table. Because if they're not at the table, they're on the menu. And and I think that's that's what I was thinking. It's like when I was reading it, I'm like, they're going to have to hire a whole bunch of Indigenous people to do this work. Because if it's just white social worker women that are doing it, it's not. It's going to just create more harm. And I, I haven't seen any postings for any of this stuff. Um, and sometimes I talked about doing research. I'm like, well, isn't this all done researched enough? Like how much more do we need? We don't need. And the way they talk about the unhoused, you know, the way people talk about it, people with addictions and uh, um, unhoused people is like how, how they treat people. And I think it was beautifully written, um, but I just I just don't see this government taking steps to decolonize themselves. Because they talked about decolonizing, which is great, but I just don't see them taking the step under Smith. Like, I, I just don't see it. And they only require one day of Indigenous training for staff, at, and that's not enough to get to to start to de to get rid of the stereotypes and stuff that's been bombarded to us that's all i have well that's really good i think all right um kathy do you want to give it a go and see uh see what you uh gotta say Sure, it's uh, starting to quiet down as some of the kids are leaving. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, everybody can hear me, right? <laughs> I've unmuted, okay. Um, I was, you know, like a really hard read for me. Like, um, I mean, it started with just, you know, read, read at the executive summary, it, it says like, it's just, so cavalier for me, it's like they say mass killings, residential schools, forced removal of children and forced coerced sterilizations are acts of genocide. You know, like it's just like, for some reason it was a real gut punch to me. Like it's just, to me, it's like you're reading and it, and it's just like, boom, you know, like for me that, I don't know if I was just really emotional that day I was reading that, but it was just like, it started out with like a real gut punch and then then I'm reading all of these things and I'm going, yeah, that sounds so good. That's so great. But then my mind started going, but they're not doing any of this. So then it got, then it went back to being really hard reading again. Like, it's just like, yeah, it's all lip service. It's no concrete actions. Um, you know, but like when they were talking about the four pathways, um, in Alberta, our crossroads is with trauma-informed cultural connections and supports. This new path requires reviewing government policies, procedures, programs, and services in areas including, but not limited to health, addictions, and mental health, law enforcement, and social services to ensure they are trauma-informed, engage Indigenous communities and organizations, and connect Indigenous women, girls, and 2S plus people with their cultures. Um, it also involves building relationships with local Indigenous communities and significant training and trauma-informed approaches for all of these, for all staff in these sectors. I don't know, it just, when I was reading that, it brought to mind like all these culture camps that you see and how expensive they are that we have to pay to relearn some of our culture. And I'm just, I was just finding it's, 
I wish that they would government would pay for the culture camps. They they had no problem paying to force us into obeying their laws and their restrictions. And but you know, for them to pay to for us to relearn our culture is a big no no. Um, and just different things like there was one part that I really I enjoyed. I think it was all of them when they were talking about intersectionality, like that really is when I brought home that, yeah, that's that would be great if they could do that. If they had a, a committee to show how so many things, there's so many factors that force a woman into situations where she might be endangered and stuff. And, and you know, if you just follow one program and stuff you might not qualify but if they had somebody that oversaw and said yeah but then they have these pressures on them and, and then they have these pressures over here you know like then maybe they would be qualifying for more support and help um so I really like that one policy about um I, I don't know it was an intersectionality um committee or something they were talking about um, Oh, and another thing when it came to addictions and mental health, um, it talks about having uh, training will include knowledge building around appropriate referrals and service providers and capacity building activities for better supporting indigenous people addressing addictions. I just like that whole idea that appropriate referrals because I have so much trouble my doctor, what? I've been with her for a decade already. She's East Indian. She refers me to East Indian doctors all the time. And I get the most racist responses from these specialists she sends me to. It's like totally useless for me to go to these specialists because they don't treat me like a human. They don't answer my questions. They just, boom, get their money from the government for looking at me. And that's it. They don't actually help me in any way, shape or form, really. Um, and then when I mentioned it to my doctor, she was at a loss. She goes, well, maybe that that indigenous place can help you find it. <laughs> like, you know, so it's just like, I really think that they should, that at the very least they should find, it would be nice if there was a list of, of service providers, whether it's mental health, doctors, specialists, um, it would be really nice if there was once a list where that were indigenous friendly, you know, so that we could go online and look for it ourselves. Cause basically my doctor said, well, sorry, can't help you, you know, like maybe, you know, <laughs> this other place, that indigenous place goes, that indigenous place can help you. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks for nothing again. Um, Okay. Oh yes, and and the uh, the data collection that just shocks me that there's still no collection. Like as as to when this report was made, that that law enforcement is still not collecting all of this data that would help us um, pinpoint where where all the problems are, are so that we can fix them. Like that that just kind of blew me away when it said. Um, from any and all law enforcement services. So there, there's like, nobody's collecting this data still, apparently. Um, oh, and another, what under law enforcement, where they talk about having an indigenous police officer and civilian officials on the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team um, and in their investigations, particularly related to an, related to indigenous women, girls, and two, two S plus people. Um, I just like the idea that forced them to have an indigenous lens when for these serious responses, like that would be, well, you know, the cat's meow, but you know, we, we all live, <laughs> you know, we all have these hopes, but the government, you know, like how do we make the government follow their own recommendations is the big question really. Um, and then, you know, the the only other thing that really blew me away is how 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 much 
bigger the uh, homicide, indigenous homicide rate is in Calgary compared to Edmonton. That kind of blew me away. You know, like it's almost 15 for every 100,000 in Calgary and not quite 10 for every 100,000 in Edmonton. So uh, I'm just wondering what's wrong with Calgary that we're that much more violent towards the indigenous people here. You know, like I don't take like, I don't take the subway anymore, the C train. Like the last time I took the C train, I saw that crazy guy um, talking about burning indigenous people and that we're all rapists and stuff. And that was, you know, at the CBE thing. I haven't taken the bus since then because I don't, I don't want to have to go through that just, you know, on a day, just day to day, you know. Um, I really... It seems like a, a lot of this stuff sounds so good on paper. It really is good. It really is wonderful if the government would actually follow through on any of their recommendations. And it says that they're they're not just recommendations. They say they should act on these things, right? And they're not doing it. So it's it's kind of sad. It just made me really sad to read all this. It's like one hand I'd be going, yes. And the other hand I'd be going, yeah, <laughs> you know? So that's all I have to say. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you said what you said. That's for sure. Um, so I sent you a private message with this link and I just wanted to show it for everybody. Um, I use these folks for my Narcan because um, my family doctors, as much as they try, um, they suck. <laughs> they don't have the, uh, they don't have the indigenous lens. Let's put it that way. And this Alberta indigenous virtual care clinic has saved my butt many a times because I can't get culturally appropriate, um, health services. So I, uh, I highly recommend any Indigenous person out there uh, use that service. Uh, Elbow River Healing Lodge has an extreme wait list. Uh, so it's funny. One of my favorite things I wanted to point out to everybody was actually on page 70 and 71. And it's the maintaining the status quo and institutional lack of will. And they have, um, like, I'll just read, in Alberta, our crossroads is with culturally responsive and safe policies, procedures, regulations, programs, and services. No longer can Indigenous cultures and people's lived experiences be an add-on to existing programs and services, brushed over as something that needs to be acknowledged but doesn't warrant extensive consideration. We need to remove systemic barriers as simple as this then we are truly working in the spirit of reconciliation. And they have like a whole two pages of short-term stuff. And I, I just found it hysterical today with the announcements that they were making that literally everything they said today goes against everything in their own damn report that they have here on page 70 and 71 about um, you know partnership, applying anti-racism and decolonizing approaches and you know, working in conjunction with Indigenous people, something, uh, somebody asked about policing and uh, something else I forgot to say, but I did like a TikTok on it and a podcast was the federal money that's going to pride organizations is literally a new police budget. And it just pays for like the policing that has to get done. So even though Calgary Pride paid substantially for private security, um, in order to get the permit, they were forced to hire the Calgary police. And the, so the money that comes from the federal government for pride organizations just go directly into the Calgary police and the policing agencies nationally. So, and, and, and that's why I was so pissed off when I heard a Calgary police officer say, well, you don't understand how stretched our resources are to a trans person at Trans Mike and, uh, Dyke in March, because literally, not only do they have the biggest budgets in any municipalities, like that's the biggest budget item in all municipalities, they get a second one from a nonprofit 
who can't even use the money they get from the federal government to allocate for social services for exactly this stuff, it has to go straight to policing. So to have a single police officer on the ground, look at a citizen and say, well, you don't know how our resources are stretched when literally they get um, multi-level government funding for this shit and they can't ever apply it to the social issues. So, you know, it, it's, um, it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, like one of the short-term um, pieces, integrate a community-based policing model into all law enforcement services in Alberta, <laughs> as if. So something that I just shared on Twitter that I thought is completely relevant to what we're talking about, because this here, the, you know, maintaining the status quo, institutional lack of will, um, says things here, like the first thing, work with all police services in Alberta to increase transparency, trust, communication, and the flow of information to families of. Well, I literally just shared Pacey Dumas, the Indigenous man who had to have a section of his skull removed after being kicked in the head by an Edmonton police officer, has begun the process of launching a private uh, prosecution after the Alberta Crown declined to try the case because this is the one where even Acert said, no, we should probably charge him. And they were like, eh, fuck it. So literally, you know, transparency, trust, communication, and the flow of information. Well, that's what's in the report, but what's not actually happening is a private lawsuit that has to happen because even though Acert said, no, this guy probably should get charged, Alberta Crown was like, who needs that? So like literally every order of department in the Alberta government is not following this in any capacity. You know, the, that the proof is in the pudding right there with Pacey uh, Dumont's story right alone let alone multiple others right so i i needed to read this and i'm literally gonna send it straight to my mla i'm gonna send it straight to uh, my friend ewan thompson who's now by the way being virtually frisked by the calgary police for being an advocate for harm reduction and he's my friend so you know that was put out there by jeremy appel and um, I want to say it was pro press progress. I can't remember the article, but I shared it and he's been sharing it. He's a former guest on my podcast. So by someone like myself, even advocating for MMIW, advocating for harm reduction, you know, I'm on their police watch list because I just exist and think equality for everyone should be a thing. It's, it's wild to me. So that's, that's where we're at. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody wants to take themselves off a of mute and talk more freely. Yeah, please go ahead. Actually, I don't think Wendy has had a chance to speak at all. So I apologize for that. And I'll just put myself on mute and let Wendy have the floor for a bit. Okay, thanks, Michelle. Um, I think, uh, like others have said, I was asking myself during this report, uh, why did they bother? Um, because, <laughs> I mean, it, it, reminds us it was a refresher of things we've already read in the longer report and more specific context for Alberta. Um, and Alberta does tend to like something packaged up Alberta specific. So maybe that was part of their thinking. Um, it, it's a bit of a loss, though, if people read just this report without the others, because the others do have more of the context. And um, I think I didn't feel I was missing that context. But having read those other reports, I was thinking, um, will people get the impact they need from, from reading these bullet points? I don't think they are getting it. Maybe they're not even reading the bullet points. But um, I also thought a bit about the people who wrote the report. It was nice, the beginning section where they talked about what the experience meant to them. Um, but then I noticed that um, there was a team and the team that kept changing over were the MLAs. Like, so the, the non-Indigenous people on that committee um, changed over a few times. And I was thinking that probably made this quite a hardship for that committee to um, like get this off the ground and have this be meaningful and probably is connected to everything we're discussing here about why is this not uptaken. 
I think um, even just the changeover of who was sitting on that committee, who is non-Indigenous, um, it would be hard for accountability to get to the right level uh, with that amount of changeover, which I'm sure was just built into the day-to-day -day workings of how things went together. I'm sure it wasn't an active thing of like, let's switch this person out. But I mean, we've talked about that before about how our government structure doesn't build in a lot of long-term thinking. And so I thought about that a little bit. Um, I also was thinking about, I, I um, appreciated the section um, that emphasize in the section on, I'm trying to remember what page it was. And they were talking about the Gladue reports um, and how those are so important, but then also just got me thinking about that. So it got me thinking about a lot of that then is left up to judges and lawyers to properly use those reports or make sure that they are filled out properly. Um, and with, uh, I guess, uh, an authentic experience for the people who need those reports. Um, it reminded me, and maybe there's others in the group who knew about this or know more about it. I, I remember sometime in the past year, there had been, um, I think it was the Alberta Law Association. Um, they were trying to get through training, Indigenous training for lawyers in Alberta. And then there was a contingent who were against it. Like there was a letter put out that they didn't want this training. But then the there had been hundreds of lawyers in Alberta who had actually approved it and voted for it. So it passed. So I was thinking that was a good, I mean, that wasn't necessarily connected to this report or an intended um, outcome from this report, but it just got me thinking about at what point do we see lawyers and um, judges who have received any training or that their training has been built into what we expect of them? Um, so if anybody knows more about that, I know it, it got me thinking about, you know, I was glad that they approved it and that training would be um, a routine practice that they would be working on. But then I also know that takes a lot of time for that to actually work its way into the system. So those are just... A few things I was thinking about um, that, yeah, there's just a lot here that requires people to actually follow through, um, whether it was judges and lawyers, um, government officials, health workers, um, education workers. I guess just my last thought with all of this, it does, as others have said, it does leave me feeling um, undone, like this is undone. It's still not being touched enough. It's still not being thought about or part of day-to-day -day practice. Um, but as a white settler, I do notice a lot of these things in myself as well, that, you know, what is holding me back from doing more? Why am I not moving the needle individually? You know, all those pieces I think about. Um, so a book that I'm reading in, in, uh, alongside this reading and many other things um, is The Trouble with White Women. So I just wanted to say I'm really appreciating that book. Um, I had just read, before I read this report, I had just read the chapter that talks about Alice Fletcher um, and just the relationship she had had um, with some Indigenous communities. And she had had quite a lot of, um, she had quite a lot of say, like she's a famous white feminist, but this is meant to unpack that and see how good intentions actually were really harmful. Um, and so anyway, that just took me down a few rabbit holes there. Um, but reading that book and others are are helping me to, I guess, um, as a white woman, have self-compassion for myself. So not absorbing the problems of the past um, because it can feel very, um, from a white perspective, you can feel despair, but we're really not in a place to feel despair. We're supposed to be in a place of action. And um, and so that book is one of the things that's helping me when I read something like this to still feel that momentum towards action um, rather than the the go-to of throw up your hands. Well, what can I do? You know, it's, it's this is all I can do. It's not all I can do. Um, and I'm still learning that. So thanks for the chance to speak. and. Uh, Looking forward to hear more on what others are saying. Thanks. I'm so grateful that um, that you chimed in and and said everything you said. I I I think all of you, you know, your points of view. I, I love them all. And I know uh, prior to me giving you the green light there, Wendy. I know Kat had her hand up. So Kat, I was there something you wanted to unmute yourself and uh, and chat about? Yeah. Um. Could you stop the recording, please? Yep. 
Go ahead, Shelley. And excellent points, Rosemary. I was also, what I did like about it is that it said that it needs multi-year approach funding, not just one year, one cycle. It needs multi-year approach funding, which I think that's what all systemic issues need is multi-year, multi-cycle, whatever, funding, because you're not going to get anywhere with only one year funding. Yeah, but agreed. We have yet to see that. Yeah, I'd love to see uh, folks from here, maybe our reg group as well, uh, where there's this big discussion about housing. And, you know, I put out a statement like the end of December that they totally and completely ignored. But there are components of housing in this report that we could, um, you know, tell tell the city to follow uh, the keys, the, the recommendations in here pathways to justice and having that a part of their their world so um just going to throw that out there as well and um i'm going to be putting out some kind of rebuttal about this bullshit i seen today talking about the addictions and mental health component because like they completely fucked their own report over on this so um it's 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 just so upsetting i don't know so many so many things to say about systemic barriers here and uh you know and the housing and homelessness that goes along with the policing as well the prison they have a, a section on corrections and i'm like <laughs> between the mental health and addiction the corrections and the policing like holy hannah and and the health you know in general it's like there's like nothing in in this these announcements that happened today that correspond with any of this so kind of back to the point about mandate letters like you imagine if the uh, you know health minister the addictions minister the uh policing uh, or public safety minister like they were all working in conjunction of following these reports how strong that could be and how that would actually solve the problem but that would be you know indigenous led and and as rosemary said uh talking about giving away some power you know to allow that kathy go ahead kathy go ahead oh oh sorry i unmuted you i i was like asked to unmute when you hit unmute <laughs> okay um no i was just sorry i pressed i was waiting for you to stop talking and my finger accidentally pressed so if you were if you aren't finished, then I'm more than happy to wait. <laughs> no, go ahead, please, Kathy. Okay. Um, it's just like under the housing and homelessness, when, when you're talking about it, there's a there's a bullet on um on pathway 83. It talks about evaluate and report whether funding for housing and homelessness services is going directly to in, indigenous-led organizations and achieving positive outcomes for indigenous women, girls, and 2S plus people. Like that would be so great if that could happen, if they actually just gave us the money and let us take care of our people the way we know how and want to. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and the other thing that I was, there was that whole section and they kept talking about Town like it was like up on a pedestal and I'm just wondering what the heck is going on? Like, when was this report written? Has th has things changed that much since this report was written? Um, yeah. It's changed that much in such a short time. Okay. Because mm -hmm. it's just like, wow, they keep talking about Alotan. And I'm like, you know, I'm just feeling this little knife, you know, every time they would talk about it. And um, Well, because Josie was on this committee helping with this report. But now, yeah. of course, they kicked her kicked her to the curb right so um but she's at least with the advancement for aboriginal um advancements of aboriginal women she's part of them now but okay yeah but still like your point remains here we have you know an organization that is now basically appropriating a culture what denying indigenous people the services they they should have and uh you know it's no I, I'm not mad at the staff. I'm just that board of directors to deny our memberships, to deny Indigenous board members. Like, it's just awful. 
So I, I'm with you, Kathy. And you're right. I feel the same way. It's, it, it's so hard reading this. And then hearing today, these announcements, it just stings and stings and stings. It's just like constantly. So I, I wish, I wish non-Indigenous people understood the trauma of hearing this like double speak coming from government, right? And, and coming from institutions and how horrible that feels. Um, so what announcements came out today? I'm kind of out of the loop here because I don't have home internet or cable anymore. And I've been out of data for two weeks already. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, I'm fair. Like totally in the dark about everything right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically the Edmonton police chief in conjunction with a bunch of MLAs talked about uh, their forced treatment. They call it compassionate care. It's like talk about 1984 Orwellian doublespeak, um, you know, where it's like, oh no, we're just going to beat the shit out of you, throw you in a jail and expect you to recover. It's fine. It's totally compassionate. You know, uh, that's, they were talking a lot about that today and it's just so okay. infuriating in context of what we're reading, right? Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Kathy, for letting us know. Go ahead, Kat. Well, speaking of boards, too, I looked up the um, the board or the committee of um, the Alberta Anti-Racism uh, Action Committee. There's only literally one Indigenous person on it out of maybe a group of 15. One. I know they, they mentioned it in this report, too, that there should be more representation on that board. Um, regarding policing, uh, there are only three nations in Alberta who have their own police service. Um, the Tsutina, the Blood, and the Lakeshore nations. Mm -hmm. Everything else is is monitored by the RCMP. So um, maybe if Indigenous nations had their own police service, it might be a little more helpful. And that is in this report over and over again, how non-Indigenous police services should be working in conjunction with police services. And I know the Calgary police is really leaning heavy on Sutina and uh, the Bloods, but I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of policing. And the RCMP, like we know they don't care. We see what they do out at with Sutuin. So it's so infuriating and frustrating. So great points. Anybody else? You can call it early tonight. I just wanted to come back to um, the anti-racism section. The one thing that did, <laughs> I thought was pretty gross. Um, so they say the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Canadian Human Rights Act, International Human Rights Instruments, and the Alberta Human Rights Act can be critical critical accountability instruments but they are not currently being used in Alberta to protect the rights of Indigenous women girls and 2s plus people I mean that says it all that's pretty gross but it's great to have it black and white because when I say it for non-Indigenous it goes in one ear and out the other right and we can collectively tell non-Indigenous as Indigenous people did you know we can't ever get any, you know, rights through the Human Rights Commission? And it goes in one ear, not the other. Worse, half of our people think, oh, it should totally go to the Alberta Human Rights Commission. It's like, bitch, have you ever tried this system? It doesn't work. So, you know, at least if it's in black and white, maybe settlers will be like, oh my God, I had no idea. And maybe it'll actually hit them. I don't know. But speaking of that too, this hits me a lot too. And I and I know I know we're all on journeys of learning. Um, but wouldn't it be nice if like the law society or whatever, if if lawyers could actually say, Oh, I've actually done that training, as opposed to why should I have to take that training? I mean, imagine the day when when Settlers can say, I have learned something today about Indigenous people and about, you know, something, anything. <laughs> anything. Well, you know, it would it, be maybe amazing. I, I actually seen an Indigenous person say that for September 30th, can people please tell us what is it you know? What is it you've learned? What are, you know, and I, I try to kind of say that on my podcast where it's like, 
please, I'd love to hear about initiatives of reconciliation that have happened, whether because I half of my listeners are in in Ontario, the other half are in Alberta. That's not true. Like, no, I, ha- I have them all over the world, but the majority are in those two provinces. And it's like, why can't we start highlighting these great examples? Like, I very rarely have settlers on my podcast, but when I do, it's usually because they are working on some sort of reconciliation initiative or something that strongly affects Indigenous people, right? So it, like, honestly, if you all wanted to, and and anyone listening wants to, you know, put out things that I've learned, (laughs) right? Give us some hope, folks. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I, um, I have nothing but uh, sadness to say about a lot of the lack of um, understanding and kind of back to your point about anti-racism committees only having like one Indigenous person. I mean, like, you know, I'm so critical of this diversity, equity and inclusion concept because it's usually from a very colonial point of view, right? So yeah, you can have a Black person or a person in a wheelchair talking about uh, diversity and in inclusion and equity, but you know, if you're not coming from a decolonial lens, then you're just perpetuating colonialism through this DEI lens, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, all right, thanks, folks. Yeah, go ahead, share Shelley. And I don't agree with the DEI where, say, I would talk about something else that that like indigenous issues that wouldn't work I should only be talking about disability issues but I don't like the DEI where they cross and just because you've had some education in it that you are able to talk about other issues that's not because you don't understand it from the root so that's that's what I thought oh agreed agreed great point Shelley yeah, actually, I heard on the CBC, they had a woman talking about um, basically fat phobia, and how that is an economic issue as well. And I was like, hmm. it was really great listening to it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think when you're talking about racism and ableism, like those, that's the majority of, of the issue. But I don't want to downplay the lack of, you know, in, um, going up the corporate ladder solely based off of your weight. And your, and your appearance, because that was kind of the point, right, as well from this interview. And so, you know, of course, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, totally relevant conversations. But like, I'm thinking of a, a fat, indigenous, two-spirit with a disability, like in, throughout this entire report, the Alberta government's talking about, you know, um, economic uh, issues here, like, I can't get a goddamn job. I, I I got I thought it was funny when the Calgary police told me to put my resume in for a job, and I did. And you know, I've met the team, seen where they're at, and it, it's they got hired, not me. And that's okay. Like I'm not mad at them. I'm just shocked that the way HR practices continue today, that they're gonna pick my brain when they literally got hired for this. Like we, none of us here got paid to read this report. None of us. They literally could go to work tomorrow and spend their whole day reading this report, but they don't. But yet they had to be experts in MMIW before they got hired. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, I just, just want to, yeah, <laughs> to say one last thing is like, we settlers have to start living are acting like we live in indigenous sovereignty under indigenous indigenous sovereignty start acting like it sure that remembering who are the um, keepers of the land and who were here first and whose culture um we are stealing and appropriating and just stop doing that and start respecting that's all i gotta say love it Well, folks, I really, as always, appreciate you coming to these book clubs, sharing your amazing thoughts on everything that you're, you're reading. And, you know, Kat actually shared with me a letter that she had wrote to her MLA, which inspired me to quickly drop a line over to mine. So I just think it's really important that um, although they likely just go into their junk mail or block, you know, at least we did it. We tried 
for doing the work. And, uh, you know, you can, you can post yours on Reconciliation Action Group, whatever you want to do. I'll post it. I'll repost it. You know, that sort of thing. So if there's any initiatives that you have going on, any letters that you want amplifying, we'll happily do that. And uh, again, just thank you all for coming. And I was going to open up my notes here to talk about the next book. I did buy it just at uh, Shelf Life Books the other day. Um, it is, come on, Michelle, geez. Okay, Cree lawyer, Harold Johnston's book, Peace and Good Order, the case for Indigenous justice, and that's October 9th. So we'll be done the Sisters in Spirit vigil. And uh, for the folks that are here, um, you know, it, there's uh, an attempt to work with Awuton about, uh, about it. Normally our Sisters in Spirit committee runs October 4th, but Awuton has tried to take the lead on that. Obviously the pain and suffering and hurt that they've imposed, not just on me, but many others, is not going to have us join that march unless they can broker some kind of conversation where none of the board members are there um, and none of the government officials that are causing and funding this harm are there. So I think the chances of that are nil. So I'll likely be having a fire in my yard, um, which you're all welcome to. And um, yeah, we'll go from there. But in the meantime, that is our book for next book club. And I, again, I appreciate you all coming tonight. I appreciate you taking the time to read this report and, uh, you know, moving forward together. Thank you, folks.